everyone, welcome to DarkCast Interviews. I'm your host, Jonathan Miley. GCI is a long-form interview podcast where we talk to game creators about who they are and their work behind the scenes, as well as, obviously, their recent or upcoming video games. In this episode, I talk with Matthew Hostery from Tribe Toy about their upcoming game, Bartlow's Dread Machine a twin-stick shooter with an early 20th century art-style couch co-op and a tale about the kidnapping of President Teddy Roosevelt. For more information about the game, check out the links below on YouTube or in the show notes for this episode on DarkStation.com. There you can also find the original DarkCast as well as other video game reviews, previews, and features. You can subscribe to the show on iTunes, follow us on Twitter at DarkStation underscore com, find us on Facebook, check us out on YouTube, or email us at podcast at DarkStation.com. As always, thank you so much for listening. Now on with the show. Darkcast interviews, everybody. I'm Jonathan. Joining me today is Matthew Hostery. How are you doing, Matthew? Doing great. I'm so glad to hear that, and I'm glad to have you on the show to talk about uh, you and. So we'll we'll get to this in a minute, but uh, uh, the studio that you work for is Tribe Toy, correct? That is correct. And then you're working in conjunction with another studio called uh, Beep Inc. for uh, for the game that you guys are are working on, which is uh, Bartlow's Dread Machine. Yep, bears. Awesome. Well, uh, before we get into the game itself, let's talk a little bit about kind of who you are and, and what you do at Tribe Toy and specifically what you do on the Dread Machine. Great. Um, so I'm uh, Matthew Hostry, as you mentioned. Uh, I'm the studio head and uh, design director at Tribe Toy. On uh, Dread Machine itself, um, you know, we're a really small team. Um, We have four people working on the game at Tribe Toy and two at uh, Beep. So um, as a result, you know, I do a little bit of everything, everything from the the level design to the AI programming to uh, particle effects. Um, Yeah, it's, uh, you know, you got to wear a lot of hats with a small team. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, so you've got four people at Tribe Toy working on Dread Machine. Is that do you have four people at Tribe or how many people yeah. do they actually have at the studio? Yeah, it's four people there. Okay. Um, Excellent. Yep. So super small studio. Absolutely. Uh, that is, you know, I I love video games today. I mean, there's so much crap that goes on in video games, but the fact that like four people, I guess in this case, technically six people, uh, can get together and, you know, make a game and that's not impossible. And you can actually make something that looks incredibly polished. Whereas, you know, in the early days of the, the indie scene, uh, four people making a game, uh, probably didn't look all that polished. (laughs) And, uh, it's, it's, it's so cool that, that just that everybody that wants to make a video game can basically make a video game. That also makes it incredibly hard for you, who's making a video game, to get your video game noticed. Because uh, literally everybody can make a video game. Yeah, but it's, uh, a, it, it's just it's exciting. It's true. It's, it's been really challenging in that way. And, like, um, you know, it's we just have a, a, a really experienced team. And uh, I think one of the things that has really helped us get this game um, to be as polished as it is with such a small team is just... Uh, you know, we had built a lot of tech for our previous title that we were just able to reuse, and uh, that helped a lot. <clears throat> now, you guys worked on um, Bow to Blood, correct? That is correct, yeah. Okay, that is that is a game that I've I've meant to try and haven't, but it looks super cool. Was it the is it the same group of people that worked on that? Uh, yeah, that working on this. Yep. Uh, basically, uh, the team was a slightly structured, slightly different. Uh, the four people working on Dread Machine did work on Bout of Blood. We had two additional people at Tribe Toy during uh, the Bout of Blood cycle. Um, uh, but the, uh, the art director for Bout of Blood went off and is working with Steven Spielberg now. Oh, um, wow. That's very fancy. happy for her. That's... <laughs> and uh, yeah, so, you know, she um, 
really good friend of mine. We've worked together for years and years, and so we come together, build stuff, and then we go off and you know do our own things for a bit. And she's always wanted to do some film stuff, so she got the opportunity, and you know sort of went off to do that. So wishing her well on that. But uh, yeah, it's uh, the people on this did work on Bottle of Blood, so it's it's been great. Okay, awesome. That's that's really cool. Um, so uh, how what is the the involvement with uh, Beep Inc. That's that developer, for people that don't know, as far as I'm concerned, their basically main title that they made is Voodoo Vents, and then they made it again uh, when they remastered it. Uh, is that those are yep, that's, those guys, right? Okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, so Clayton Kozlarik, who's sort of the um, I'd say studio head of Beep, uh, was somebody I worked with at uh, Microsoft when I was there, hmm. and uh, he. Uh, uh, and me had always like we'd sit down in his office and just he had this idea and he's had this idea for Dread Machine for like this is the game he's wanted to make for ten years. Oh. Uh so you know, we talk about it and we're like, Oh, we'd love to do this together. It'd be a real fun project. And then, you know, we got the opportunity where um uh we could. So we just said, Hey, let's do this thing, let's let's build this game. I love the idea and obviously he does since it's the thing he's wanted to make for so long. <laughs> Um, you know, he's just been thinking about it so long. You can tell, um, you know, playing through the game <laughs> that um, there's just so much depth um, to the story and the world um, just because it's a 10 year, you know, uh, 10 years of his uh, thinking on it. So it's been really great. Fantastic. Fantastic. Well, um, you mentioned that you worked at Microsoft. Uh, what is kind of your, your previous uh, I was about to say previous past, but that's a little bit redundant. But what, what's your past work with, with video games like? Oh, yeah. Um, so I've, uh, I started way back when at uh, – Turbine was my first professional um, thing. You know, I started making games when I was a kid, uh, like fifth, you know, 15 years old. But um, professionally, it was at Turbine on Lord of the Rings Online and then uh, Dungeon Dragons Online. Um, I went to Tencent, which is a Chinese company. Uh, you know, they're sort of like the Google of China and did a Chinese MMO with them. Uh, at the same time, I started an indie studio and made this uh, little indie fighting game uh, that got me called Choose Dynasty. Got me picked up by uh, Microsoft as a design director um, in sort of their experimental, uh, a group that was taking research and development stuff and, you know, bringing it to, uh, to products. So I worked on some Kinect titles and then uh, HoloLens, uh, which was really yeah. fun. HoloLens was super interesting. Got to do um, this title called Fragments um, with the Sobo Studios. And that was this – I mean, I, I really wish more people could could play that. Just It's super unique. It, like, it'll take your – whatever room you're in, it scans it and, like, turns it into a crime scene. It was really, like, cutting-edge technology. Um, you know, you'd see, like, characters sitting on your chairs and talking to you. It was amazing. Um after that, you know, went into the Xbox uh, publishing group um, and, uh, you know, helped out is sort of um, a mix between like uh, design director where I was helping, you know, establish like, hey, we want this type of game built. Um, but also as like a firefighter where like they'd have me go into other companies and help uh, when, you know, for example, in Recore, I, they had me go in and build like four of the boss fights. Um, so uh, things like that where I just go into a studio and help them you know, where they needed help. And after that, you know, I just was like, hey, this is cool, but I sort of want to go off and do my own thing again. Um, and then I, you know, left um, this, cra like, amazing thing I've always wanted to do, you know, I always wanted to own my own company, and I just had the opportunity to say, you know, I'm going to give this a go. Um, so left my my job in security and said, ah, let's go do this financially unwise thing and start a, a game <laughs> studio. Um, luckily though, like one week after I left, uh, Sony, um, ended up signing us for Bout of Blood. So it ended up working out really well. Gotcha. Excellent. Um, God, there's like so many questions I want to ask about it, all of the things that you just mentioned. Um, but I, I guess the, the main thing I want to ask is it, it seemed like the development of ReCore was maybe a little bit of a mess. Um, what, how many studios were actually involved in working on that game? I feel like there were, there were several. Um, I, I can't tell you a hundred percent. I know okay. that, uh, uh, I, I just wasn't involved at that level of the project. Right. Um, I think I know 
we, you know, Microsoft Studios as a publishing partner did help um, Armature, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, it's it was one of those projects, I think, that was, uh, it was just so, had so much promise and it got, like, plussed up a lot. Um, you know, and I think when you add a lot of people onto a team, there's always, you know, every studio is going to have, you know, have uh, places where, like, hey, as they grow, they're going to have gaps and holes. Mm-hmm. So, like, you know, for me, I just got to go in and help. Like be like, hey, you guys are hiring up because we just grew, doubled, tripled the size of this project, <laughs> and I was able to like, you know, jump in and you know fill a hole where they might not be able to hire right away, and that that was really um, really great experience. Um, I love yeah. working with other teams like that because there's like one, you get to see how other people work, and like you get to see like every studio has their own strengths, own weaknesses, own tool sets, you know, own way of doing things. It was really fun to just jump around the world, work at different studios, and see how everybody does stuff definitely definitely um and then uh what was your what was your work with asobo asobo uh, was um i feel like i worked on more than one project with them i did actually now to think about it but uh the big one was fragments um and they did um geniuses over there they're really smart people um fragments was uh the hololens uh crime... okay, that was the, the hololens okay yeah crime, crime drama it was it was a really cool thing project yeah yeah, Asobo is a really interesting studio just from from the outside perspective for me because like I I played a a third person shooter they made like fifteen years ago that is it's not good, um, but they've they've done a lot of like additional support on other games and stuff and then they come out and make a Plague Tale last year and I was just like my mind was blown and it's like why aren't these guys doing like original stuff more This is amazing. Um, yeah. Yeah, I'm so happy they had they got the opportunity. I think that yeah. that's a studio that just has so much talent, and a lot yeah. of times, you know, it's really hard as a game company to break out of, uh, uh, you know, doing um, other people's stuff, other people's IPs, and they sure. they got that and they got that opportunity, and I'm I'm just so happy for them. Absolutely, absolutely. But uh, enough about other people and their games. Let's talk about you and your game, Bartlow's Dread Machine. What is this thing? Uh, Bartlow's Dread Machine is um, it's it's this concept that in 1907 this guy named Bartlow uh, created this mechanical game long before the time of video games, um, and unfortunately, like uh, because it was mechanical, it uses pyrotechnics and all, and uh, you know actual like projectiles <laughs> and injured a lot of the players, and he ended up losing you know his shirt. He lost all his money. No one wanted to pay the five cents to play the game. Uh, and you know, we, we find, we decided to recreate this thing at, in the digital age and, um, and, uh, yeah, it's, so it's, you're, it's a game about a game, uh, where you're, you're playing this mechanical experience, uh, you know, would really take pains to make sure that everything in the game would work. Um, everything from the UI and the menus, um, to way, the way the characters move on the tracks, um, uh, everything we've thought out, even the projectiles were like, how would these function? What would these be? Would they be like flaming cotton balls with phosphorus? How are we going to make them look like that and feel like that? So we're really trying to stay true to this idea that everything is mechanical, everything would function. Um, and uh, that's sort of the the story and the, the setting. Um, but, uh, you know, and it's, as far as gameplay goes, it's really a, a couch co-op because we feel there's not enough couch co-op in the world. Absolutely. Uh, Amen. Tw- yeah. <laughs> it's just a fun thing that it's not enough good couch co-op is what I really should say. And, I, uh, no, I, I think both statements are true. There's not enough yeah, couch fair. co-op and then definitely not enough good couch co-op. Yeah. And like, so we really wanted to do something there and it's a couch co-op twin six shooter. Right. Uh, so, you know, it's going to be something everyone can play, but you know, it's, it's got a lot of depth and a lot of, uh, uh, a, a lot to, uh, sink your teeth into and unlock and should be fun for people. Awesome. Uh, now is, it's, I just gotta know, cause I, I love some of the quotes on your website, uh, from, um, you know, like newspapers in like 1907. Uh, it, it's is there at all a Mister Bartlow in the past? Um, I I is think there, that is there any this... remote thread of truth in any of this? Because <laughs> <laughs> um, I really want there to be. I know. I, I you know I do too. 
Um, so we're trying to make it feel as true as possible. Right. You know, um, I think that the, I think that the Bartlow is an embodiment um, of a lot of game developers and the experience that game developers have in that, you know, we're always working with this sort of hacky, even today, the technology isn't, is, you know, it's not like shooting a movie where things are more or less figured out. Sure. I'm, pro- I'm, I'm sure some film guys out there going, you have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> um, everything is hacky. But, um, you know, with games, like, you know, it's still very much a, like, you know, the technology does can't really fulfill the vision. We're always cutting, like, you know, making trade-offs, you know, like how yeah. accurate are are the physics going to be on like, um, you know, hit boxes, you know, the more accurate, the more performance that takes. So there's always this, like, you know, this trade off you're doing in a game and just to make a great player experience. And, you know, and I think that Bartlow really just is the idea of him is the embodiment of these game designers of the past and all these game designers that took this technology and sort of hacked it together into this amazing experiences. And, you know, we're, you know, a lot of them, you know, did it, they all did it. A lot of them did it for love. And, uh, you know, many of them, you know, it didn't work out. But uh, I think he's the embodiment of that. You know, at least it didn't sure. work out financially. That's so <laughs> so I think that's uh, that's who Bartlow is, if that makes sense. Absolutely. Uh, well, at least you're not, you know, shooting flaming cotton balls at your players. Uh, that, that would probably make things a lot more difficult. Um, so that's... The new level of difficulty, you know, we, we, we thought about games like Dark Souls and we're like, you know what would make them much more difficult if you actually got hit with flaming cotton balls and died, um, you know, it's like, you've heard of like 4d, this is like 5d. Exactly. Uh, It's not just like spraying air in your face or shaking your chair. We're actually attacking you with elements from the, the game. Yep. Yep. But, um. Yeah, so it's a, a twin six shooter. Uh, you mentioned the couch co-op. Is it is it playable uh, by yourself, or is it meant to be a, a cooperative experience? Oh yeah, we um you know we actually go through the levels and um uh change the spawn counts, change the way enemies behave a little bit um based on uh, the number of players. So okay. it's really you know we're gonna we're gonna have it balanced for one or two players. Um gotcha. and uh, you know I think. It's really just how you want to play. It's it's I've played it both ways. It's fun both ways. It's a little bit different both ways. Just in that you know, uh, obviously co-op you have that whole like let me get the ammo. Oh my god! Like you know you have more <laughs> more you know just talking back and forth, trying to figure out like how to work together to keep the hordes enemies off you. Uh, but single player is great too. You know, and there's a lot of unlocks and like you know as you progress through the game, you can buy like a new gun for like you know. 1750 or something very expensive back in 1907 <laughs> to get things like that uh but you know so you can upgrade your character and that, that's a lot of fun too so excellent excellent um so what's the uh what's the setup of the story uh what what's what's going on with Bar- so wait actually take that a step back is is there a story outside of the mechanical version of the game that you're playing within the video game? Like, is there a meta story of the the game that you're playing with the controller, if that makes sense, versus the game that is being played on Bartlow's Dread Machine? Or is it... I don't know if I'm making any sense right now. Yeah, I um, do, I do. Okay. Uh, there, I can, uh, <laughs> so there's th- there's going to be three stories in the game. I don't want to give the third one away just because I think it's 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 something I want players to be able to discover. Um, the first story, um, the, the one that's very, you know, in your face is that President Roosevelt has been kidnapped by, you know, uh, satanic ar- arcanists, and uh, you have to save him. That's okay. like the... The, the in-game story, so to speak. Uh, and then, um, you know, there's obviously the story about the, the creator of the machine. Um, and then there'll be a third story that, uh, you know, players are surely going to be discovering and unraveling as they play through the game that's a little more of the um, the deeper, um, meaningful, like, uh, uh, yeah, it's I, I don't want to give too much away, but it's sure. a little bit... A little bit of a the peeling back the onion and finding out what this thing is all really about, if that makes sense. Okay. So is that is that plot about the I guess kind of what is unfurling? Is that about the kidnapping of the president, or is that about Bartlow and the original creation of the machine, or is it kind of both? 
It's actually sort of kind of both. It's okay. sort of like the the merging of the two and uh, uh, how how that all comes together. It's uh, yeah, it's a little bit of both. Um, yeah, hopefully, I think people will. Uh, it's one of the things I'm most excited about the game is that un- unravel. Un- unraveling of this hidden story so i'm excited to see how people react to it sure sure uh now when i when i first saw the trailer for this uh and you see the little mechanical people kind of moving around my first thought uh was or i guess not really thought but the first thing that went through my mind which i guess would be a thought uh was the welcome to duloc song from shrek is it possible to play this game without that playing in your head all the time I don't know that song, so I'm... I'm... You, you've seen Shrek, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay, it's the whole thing on uh, play on, I guess it's a small world, but it's yeah, like, yeah. it's weird little mechanical people singing, so... Yeah, I can totally see that. If you oh. can fit that in as a, as a, some, think... just a nod, secret, you know, Easter egg thing, you know. Just, I love it, I yeah. love it. I'll t- we have a music guy, a guy named Steve Kirk, um, so I'll talk to him about it and be like, yo, we need some of that in there. <laughs> um, he's uh, he's the same guy that did Voodoo Vince, uh, okay. really cool. Like, what one of the things he is trying to do with the music is make, again, like going back to that mechanical thing, uh, we really want all the music to come from the machine. Mm. Um, you know, and as you're playing through the game, you're gonna, you see the levels deploy and undeploy and sort of it build the levels, um, as you're playing mm. and okay. you often get, uh, you get to see the parts of the machine behind it and you're actually going to see like pieces of the machine that are making the music and pe- pieces of the machine that are, you know, creating all this stuff that you're actually playing through. And, uh, the music really is supposed to sound like the machine's building it. So the, the small world analogy is, is, is funny to me in that it, you know, I think back then small world did sort of have that vibe of like the machine is creating the music. So I think it will have that vibe, but hopefully okay. not be as, um, repetitive as small world was and <laughs> make you, you know, I, I, yeah, I think, I, but I think, I, I think the, the mechanical vibe is right. Like the mechanical, like, you know, music box of, uh, of sure. the machine. Sure. Um, I don't know if you can talk about any of the the music making process since I mean that's that's not really that's not really your deal. But um, are you guys using any kind of I guess saying music box? I think of like a little wind up you know thing that's got the the spool with the the dots on it and the the bars. I, I don't know what any of this stuff is actually called. Is there, um, I know, but I know, like the Westworld piano. Yeah, beginning. exactly. Yeah. Is are you guys able to use any of that stuff in like real life in terms of like making sound effects for the game? Cause I mean, you were talking about uh, making the game feel like the, the digital representation that you're making of this, um, you know, theoretically real world device feel like that, that real thing. Like how, I guess, bigger question, how have you guys gone about and what have been some of the challenges of making, a digital version of a of a real thing that would have to make an artificial version of a real thing is that yeah i totally understand we're okay. like i think uh there's definitely is some of that like the music uh, our music man definitely is pulling on um some of the real world versions of these things i know he's also adding in some you know, I, I think we, we try to stretch when we can too just in that like you know the hollywood real idea the like you know uh as an example, no one wants to, to go through the actual process of solving a crime in a crime game, but they want that Hollywood authentic, right? And I think that that's sort of what we're going for, too, is trying to try to push up, you know, make it a little, you know, add in some elements that could be, you know, uh, that, you know, if you squint, they're, they're mechanical, but, you know, uh, they also add a little more um, – uh, depth to the music and a little more modernization of it. Uh, I can't speak too much for the music, but sound right. effects are that way too. Where like our sound guy's going out and he's trying to record real world stuff mm-hmm. um, and trying to get that real mechanical feel, and then just oh, then adding that layer on top that really makes it feel great. Um, you know, so that uh, you have the you still have the mechanical feel, but it also has a little bit more of the in your chest feel when you shoot a gun, for example. Mm. You know. Um, if that makes sense. Sure, sure. Um, interesting. So I, it, what about as far as uh, 
crafting levels and working with the level mechanics. I mean, obviously, if, if anybody just watches the trailer, you can see that the characters are, like, running on tracks. You can still aim in a 360 pattern, it looks like, I assume, if that's not yep. correct. Uh, but, but you're moving on predefined tracks, almost like... Um, if anybody's played it, like the Hitman Go or Lara Croft Go or Deus Ex Go, the way that those games have tracks and you're moving on there, but obviously not that style of game. Um, yeah, we've been we've been comparing it to Pac-Man plus Robotron. If anyone okay, knows those okay. references, uh, but uh, yeah, it's level design side. It's been interesting in that you know the tracks were definitely like something we're like, is this gonna work? During prototype phase, we weren't sure. Like, here's the first thing we sort of wanted to prove out to make sure it was fun, and uh, what we found is it was. Um, but one of the things that's great about it is it, it sort of turns this, you know, this 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 uh, each section of the level into almost a set of hallways and rooms where like we're using cover a lot. Um, and you have to think about, Oh, if I go down that track, I'm not going to be able to go up and down. Um, you know, it's, it's sort of like, uh, any of the old like bullet hells where you could only move left or right or up or down, but you're sort of choosing at what point, um, you know, you're basically like redefining like, Oh, right now I can go up and down right now. I can go left and right. Mm -hmm. You just got to think about when you want to do that and how you want to do that. So there's a little bit of strategy goes on with it, with it, when you're looking, going through the tracks, um, and a lot, and a, another thing that was turned out to be really fun, uh, was like, you almost get this tower defense kind of vibe where, uh, you know, you're like, Oh, if I move over on this track, they got to walk all the way around or they got to go this way. And so like, it's been fun to play this like high paced bullet hell game, but also think about like, Oh, which way can I make the enemies run? Which way can I, you know, uh, how can I set things up here? Where's the cover? Where can I hide behind? It's been, it's been, uh, it's been turned out to be really fun. Yeah. Uh, so as far as movement goes, uh, there's looking at the track, there's like some narrow parts of the track and then there's these like round bits. Are, are you able to freely move throughout the track or once you start, I guess from like one node or whatever the, the round spot is called, uh, does your character just kind of like move across the track until he gets to a stopping point, and then then you move oh, no, you again? Could, you could freely move okay, right, left, up, down, however you want to move. Gotcha. Uh, yeah, yeah. The know, round bits some... are actually now the round bits right now are places that enemies or characters can pop up through the through the through the board. If that gotcha. makes sense. Gotcha. Yeah. So the the enemies and everything those are are moving around the board just like you and are beholden to the same rules of moving on the track as you was at. Yep. Okay. And we do have some enemies that hang from strings Ooh. and that can like break the rule and go across the track. Um, we also have uh, like one of the things in the trail, you'll notice a, a vehicle um, scene where you're driving a car mm -hmm. and uh, then we like connect the car with like a little arm and coming out of the back of the machine. So there's, there's some places where we break free of the tracks. Um, but uh, you know, it's a, uh, Again, it's we just make sure that whatever we do, it it works mechanically. Gotcha. Okay. Um, so, is mechanically uh, as far as playing the game, is it, is it mostly just shooting, or are there any types of like puzzle elements to it, or anything? Mm -hmm. There are puzzle elements. Okay. Um, you know, we just throughout the levels, you know, we put in little like. Uh, puzzles that are fun in co-op as well like you know like some of them are timing puzzles some of them are like you know uh just logic puzzles or whatever like you know moving pipes where you need them to go um and then also like uh uh in terms of uh just uh being in its uh everything's sort of physical so like if so if a character like drops dynamite you can push it um where you where you need it to go to like have it blow up somewhere else or okay um You'll notice when you play, right, like, uh, you're running around the track. Every, we try to keep as much as we can just present. So, like, all the enemy corpses stay there. You're pushing little pieces around. Like, it's mm -hmm. pretty fun. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Um, so, you already mentioned with co-op, you adjust the spawn rates and some of the, the AI um, and how they the you know, enemies are kind of acting any other changes or other modes for, for co-op or anything like that. Anything um, that's co-op only. 
Uh, n- nothing co-op only. Um, okay. You know, the our our thought is that you know you can just jump in with a friend. Uh, they can jump out. You know, like uh, and you could uh, start up a single player experience and play through that. Like uh, we really just want to you know give players the option to you know play with friends is all. Sure, um, absolutely. That's that's really fun. Is it is it only couch co-op or is there any online uh, mechanics? Uh, to just it? just couch co-op. Okay. Yeah. I I remember being, I guess. You know, younger uh, when the 360 and everything was coming out. And it was like, oh, man, everything has online multiplayer now. That's awesome. And then eventually getting to the point where it's like, I kind of wish everything just had couch co-op again, man. That's Can't can I just play with actual people that, you know, are physically yeah. near me? <laughs> I miss that. that that's some of, you know, when I think about, you know, gaming and, and when I when I was young, like you said, like, some of my best experiences like we're playing with my buds on the couch and just like laughing and talking about it. And, you know, it, it was always these, like um, these games where you sort of like had this adventure and you're going through different levels and, you know, it, it was just, um, it was just really, it's the thing that like that social aspect, I don't think can be replicated a hundred percent online. No, absolutely um, not. Yeah. It's, I, I miss it. I wish there was more of it. Sure. Sure. Well, you're you're doing your part to to make sure it's, you know, it's out there for people to enjoy. So kudos. Um, Thank you. What about uh, as far as other kind of parts of the game? Are there boss battles? Uh, you you already mentioned the the car segment, but are there any other, um, I guess, not gameplay modes, but just other surprises that. I guess you can hint at, uh, but obviously not, you know, spoil. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think, uh, it's, uh, six worlds. Um, okay. every world has a boss, um, which is, uh, pretty epic. Usually. Um, I think, uh, you get a glimpse of one of them in the, tr- or two of them, I think in the trailer, uh, the levels also within, um, within the worlds, um, cause worlds are multiple zones, uh, with, within the worlds, you also have mini bosses, uh, so a lot of really unique combat experiences, um, that all we, and we try to make sure every boss feels different. You know, some of them are more like puzzly. Some of them are just like, you know, epic fights. Um, you know, and we're just trying to make sure that we, tons of variety from the beginning all the way to the end of the game. Sure. Absolutely. Um, now you mentioned, we, we talked about the plot a little bit, uh, but, in the on the the website, there's a mention of there are rumors that Bartlow himself hid uh, secret messages in the game. Is that stuff? Is that like audio logs or what? What kind of secrets are you? What kind of stuff are you actually getting? Do you get upgrades for your character? What what's going on with any of that? Yeah, I think the the secrets are really part of that third story that's going to unravel. Okay. Um, and then, like, you know, you will get upgrades for the character and all that. Um, they're not necessarily tied into his secrets, but okay. um, the the secret really is just that third story, I think, that uh, that, that will unravel. Um, there might be other little things you'll catch, like, you know, in the art or in the, mm. in the making of the machine or, you know, little hints just in you'll notice uh, through, like, you know, the pieces of the machine that you'll see working and things like that as well. But that's a sort of a a just tangential, tangential, uh, uh, like really deep world building stuff. Gotcha. Okay. Well, as far as the upgrades go, what, uh, what kind of stuff are you unlocking there? Is it new weapons, upgrades for weapons? What? We have, uh, I think, uh, 16, I don't, I'm not sure that number, but I think it's 16 characters. Um, more than 10, less than 20, probably. Yes. That's... Yeah. <laughs> Sounds right. Um, uh, and every character has, you know, a unique weapon um, okay. that, that, that they'll have um, that's unique to them. Then you can also, like, customize the characters with, like, new outfits that um, have stats on them, uh, new weapons. Um, you know, uh, pretty much every everything that does something on the character. You can get elixirs that give you, like, you know, bursts of speed or you know, different, um, usables that you can use to, to, throughout the game, the like bandages to heal yourself, stuff like okay. that. 
Uh, so as far as equipping different weapons or having different characters, is that stuff that changes inside of a level, or is that stuff, do you have like a loadout screen that you prepare for a level? How does how does that work? Yeah, in, in between each level, you'll have a loadout screen where you get to prepare okay. for the level. And then within the level, like you bring in, uh, you have like a primary weapon, a secondary, and then a sidearm um, that you'll be bringing in. Okay. And then you can quickly switch between them. You'll see the gun sort of go down into the track, and the new one will pop up. <laughs> nice. Very nice. Um, as far as outfits go, um, are those purely cosmetic, or is there there anything else to outfits? Outfits. I know uh, my uh, my um, lot to the outfits. My favorite uh, my favorite um, item thus far. I'm not sure if this is the final name, but we right now internally we call it the pants of sharing. Um, <laughs> where that, uh, that needs to be the final name. I don't even know what these do yet, <laughs> but that needs to be the final name. Yeah. Um, <laughs> They basically allow you to share some stuff that you normally wouldn't to to the other player. Okay. Um, so pants of sharing are my favorite item right now. <laughs> nice. Very nice. Uh, so are you equipping that stuff? Is it almost uh, – w- when you call it that, it, it makes it sound almost more like you're getting loot in you know, like Diablo or something. Or is that – are you unlocking – you know, you get this item once you complete this level and then you can use that item on previous levels and future levels. How, how does – getting these upgrades actually work uh it's a mix of two things one is uh there are some items awarded by completion like i completed this world i beat this boss i earned this item um then there's also uh just you earn pennies in the level and uh then you can go to the store in between levels and buy stuff gotcha okay very cool um i like that it's pennies that's that's good um on the uh, the screenshots for the game, next to your gun, there's like some sort of gauge meter. Uh, what what is that? That is uh, the cooldown on uh, your gun. So okay. like uh, uh, like you know, if you have something that's slower firing, you'd see that needle go much higher, and you got to wait for it to go back down to uh, before you can shoot again. Okay, so there's no reloading. It's a it's a cooldown meter for things. Exactly. Um, there is, um, I think one of our guns in the game does have a, a reload, though it's automatic, um, just because it's uh, thematic. I think it's a set of six shooters that reloads every six okay. shots. Sure, sure, sure. That makes sense. That makes sense. Well, very cool. So how long have you guys been working on uh, Dread Machine? Uh, Dread Machine, let's see. I think it's almost a year in right now. Okay. Um, yeah, about a year. Um, so... Yeah, started about a year ago and uh, got to here. We're going to be showing it at GDC. Super excited. Yeah. Um, uh, we have some behind-closed-door press events. If you're interested, you should definitely contact us, and okay. uh, people will be playing the game, which awesome. uh, we're excited to have people try it. Absolutely. And when, um, I guess, general projection date for, for when the game's coming out, when, when is that? Uh, summer this year. Okay, very cool. And uh, where? Is it going to be available to be played? Uh, to start with, it'll be uh, Steam and Xbox. Okay. Um, assuming it's you know people receive it well, um, we'd like to put it on everything. So uh, uh, yeah, from there we could go to PS4 and Switch and whatever. Cool. It it seems like it would be a great uh, game for Switch. As far as controls go, would that would control wise this be something that you could play with like if you shared two Joy Cons? Uh, just like if oh yeah just, okay I th- cool think so i think uh definitely yeah I'm trying to remember how the joy cons work i think you could it'd be it'd be interesting okay um it, it seems be... like that would be a super cool thing to just have somebody like you know pull off your controller and hand it to somebody and like pop in another player yeah i love that um, idea i have to i have to like read like i had to go over and grab my switch and hold the controller <laughs> I, haven't, I, haven't, I haven't got my mindset there yet but um yeah i think it's a good goal so i'm gonna try, yeah. i think we'll try to make that happen That's, yeah it's way in the future but uh it just it seems like it would be perfect for that kind of situation oh for sure uh, very cool all right well i think that does it for my general questions about the game um and I feel always feel kind of bad saying that this is my favorite part. I love talking to people about video games and whatever video game they're working on. Uh, but this is just, it's, I don't know. This part is my favorite. I can't, I can't lie. 
Uh, it's called The End Game. Uh, anybody that's listened sort of knows what it is. The first question is very simple. Uh, it's all more personal questions geared towards you. Um, like I said, first one's simple. It's not easy, though. Who's your favorite video game character? And this can be hero, sidekick, villain, like any type of video game character. But All right. Uh, this is a tough one. Um, I think... I'm going to go with uh, the Cheshire Cat from American McGee's Alice. Interesting. Um, okay. I, you know, great voice actor Scar from The Lion King played him. Yeah. Uh, and then he had just great quotes like, when is a croquet mallet like a billy club? Whenever you want it to be. <laughs> like, just great, fun, dark humor. I just, I love, I love that character in that game. Excellent. Excellent. Okay. Um, so next question, if you could replay any video game again for the first time, uh, and you don't have to worry about it aging poorly or anything like that, but you can get that first experience that for some games is completely impossible to have again, uh, what, what game would you like to replay for the first time? Oh, that's so hard. The first one that popped into my head was Secret of the Silver Blades, which is an old gold box Dungeon Dragons RPG. Um, I think it's the game I, like, that made i mean that game just blew my mind at the time uh uh this either that or prince of persia sands of time Um, and prince of persia sands of time was the first game i played that had just merged the story and the game so well that Mm. everything in the game was part of the story where like even when you died that's you know how it goes exactly (laughs) it was just it was so beautifully done uh, yes. that game really uh, moved me a lot and that, and uh, it's one of those two I would say okay very good yeah if, if Ubisoft ever decided to do a, like a full on HD remake of, of Prince of Persia Sands of Time I'm pretty sure it would oh, I mean, just I, fly yeah. off the wall it would I'd, I'd be there uh, oh that's great it's a great game um, okay so this is I'm, I'm still trying to figure out exactly how to word this question but if we all have blind spots uh, in kind of our, our video game play history. There are plenty of series or individual games that everyone else seems to love, but for whatever reason, you haven't played. And you can take pride in this or feel guilty about it. doesn't matter. But what is a, a video game or a series that is in your blind spot? I have a huge one. And, okay. like, this this not even just a series, a whole... A whole... Uh, you'll understand in a second. Um, so my father um, was in the vending industry. Um, I have to prelude this with this because it explains things. Uh, so he, you know, he did, uh, you know, which was great because as a kid I got to grow up playing arcade games for free, um, which you know I put hundreds and hundreds of hours into these arcade games. Um, but uh, you know he was really bitter about um, Nintendo uh, because uh, the one big difference between Nintendo and Sega was that Sega would put out a arcade game and then they would wait one year um, and uh, then they would put out the home version. Hmm. Where, okay. where, where Nintendo would do the home version and the arcade version at the same time. Uh, uh, and what happened is my dad bought a couple of Nintendo games for four, four grand um, and then uh, or more and then you know he wouldn't get, make it, his money back from them because uh, – uh, Nintendo would put it out for home. So when I was a child, I was not allowed to play Nintendo. <laughs> I could play Sega all I wanted, uh, which I did, but I was not allowed to play Nintendo games. Uh, so my blind spot is Nintendo. Okay. That's that's okay. I, I have a huge blind spot of Nintendo as well. I've, I've played some Nintendo, like original Nintendo games, and then... Uh, some GameCube games. That, that's about it. That that's my my Nintendo experience. <laughs> yeah. So I totally I played, understand. You know, I played Mario and such. Um, right, I, right, but, right. But like, uh, yeah, just I missed all the like. I, a lot of people just love Nintendo, and I and sure. I, and you know I I do appreciate them. But um, yeah, as a kid, I was not able to play anything. So. so I honestly didn't even know Nintendo released their games on arcade. That is. That's because uh, that because most arcade guys quickly stop buying them. That's, yeah, that's that's nuts. <laughs> Learn something new every day. That's awesome. Um, okay, so I I guess um, what Nintendo game would you most want to play now, or do you still kind of hold like a, a familial uh, grudge against? No, against no, I, I I really appreciate uh, Nintendo does this thing that. Um, 
I try to learn from constantly because it is one of my holes, which is the super simplicity of design. It's super clear what's happening. You know, just they do really good design. And uh, I think, like, I'd love to go back and just play, like, Zelda. Like, you talked about a game you'd like to play for the first time. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd love to play a Zelda, the first Zelda without it aging. Like, mm-hmm. that would be very interesting just because it, it's right up my alley. So I think I'd really enjoy that. Um, sure. uh yeah, I think that would be the one if I if I had to pick one. I maybe one of the Final Fantasies, but um, I think I'd go with Zelda a okay. little more. Yeah, very nice, very nice. All right. Uh, so what what is a good trend in video games that you would like to see more of? This can be something that you've you've seen one particular game do, or maybe a studio does it, or it can be something that is is actually more widespread, but it just should be more prolific. Um, What's a good trend in video games you would like good to see trend more of? Video games. That's a good question. Um, I think uh, I think I'd let I'd like to see a little uh, a bit. Hmm. It's a, this is gonna be, this is gonna be a, an odd one. Uh, so I'm gonna go into like um, actually less. Uh, I'm tra- predatory monetization models. Um, hmm. I feel like. Uh, this is a hard one because it's sort of going both ways right yeah, now. Yeah, well, so that the next question is what's a what's a trope or a bad trend in video games that you would like to see less of? So we can we can save that for <laughs> yes, yeah. because less of something is is kind of in that that yeah, realm. Is there? I feel like um, I I, I feel like uh, where I'm sort of getting into is um, I, I hate when games waste people's time. Mm. Um, like I'm very against, uh, grind for the sake of grind. Sure. Uh, you know, for me, like if you're going to buy new items or something, it should change the experience, change the gameplay, make it more interesting, give you interesting choices. Grind for the sake of grind is bad. And I feel like, uh, um, some companies have done really well with that. Like League of Legends is a great example of a game that has moved in the right, uh, direction there where the monetization model is more like buying a toy. Mm. Um, you know, I buy a new champion. I just get a new toy to play with. That's really smart, really well done. I feel like it's non-predatory. Um, and it's a good way to do free to play. And I, I, I like to see more of that. I think, uh, I think I, I am seeing more of that in some of the games that are coming, mm-hmm. um, where it is less about like stealing your time and more like, Hey, you want a new toy to play with? Here you go. Yeah. Um, you know, I think like, uh, it needs a little bit of learning from the community too, though. Like I, I think of a game like artifact that actually had a really good monetization model, but it felt wrong. Um, to people i think people felt like they're getting robbed when actually it'll i think it would actually saving them a lot of money uh but uh you know they didn't have that waste your thousand hours of your life grind that like hearthstone has um so uh you know i think that's i i'd like to see that trend i think the other trend just to go into more like gameplay like more fun uh i just like see stories uh and simulations of how the story is built. So it's more about Shadows of Mordor was a great example of a game that mm-hmm. was really uh, gave the player a lot of volition in how they like like who their enemies were and who their nemesises were. Um, and I'd like to see the next evolution of that, where like yeah. you know the story is really building around the players um, and and their actions. I think it's uh, something everyone's trying to figure out right now. It's a really hard problem. Um, to make, you know, meaningful story that's procedural, so to speak. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, simulated worlds being incorporated into our games, our RPGs, our action adventures, um, really will allow the players to make choices that change the actual world and not just, like, the details of it. So that's another trend I really love and I hope continues. Sure. Yeah, it, I feel like when uh, when Shadow of Mordor came out, everybody expected to start seeing the Nemesis system in, like, everything and nothing's really picked it up. Uh, it's, it's been kind of surprising that we, we haven't seen more of that. Um, I do think it definitely needed some work. It's a really cool idea. But I remember when I got to the end of Shadow of Mordor, uh, it felt like Thanos at the end of uh, Endgame seeing Scarlet Witch. just like It would popped up. It was like, this is your nemesis. And it's just like, I don't even know who you are. Um you know, it's funny, like, um, <laughs> we sort of, we tried to do um, a lot of that in Battle Blood, actually. Like, um, mm. Battle Blood's a, 
the the core the the reason I made that it's a reality show right where like you're on the show with these eight other contestants and you're trying not to get voted off the season, um, and uh, you know we learned I learned a lot about uh, that. One of the things I learned was man, you can't keep track. Even eight characters is a lot for people to keep track of, and we sure. ended up adding a lot of UI to like help players realize, oh no, this guy's friends with this guy, and then if mm. you if you help him, you're actually going to make this other person angry because. You know, uh, they're they're enemies, and it, so you, you know you can't help the friends of your enemies. That that you know that or yeah, you know what I mean. Right. Um, sure. So and then, um, but one thing I learned from it, like we have the whole thing where in the end, like we tie it all up into like the end uh, level of our game changes completely based on who you help and who who you hurt and who, who likes you. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, we we really wanted to incorporate uh, the consequence of of creating allies and friends into the game. Um, and really make the game about that, you know, just either, well, you know, obviously you can't get voted off, so you have to sort of play these politics, but you can't get through the game without, at some point, stabbing someone a little bit in the back, right? That's like the the core of a reality show. And uh, one thing I learned is like, man, with eight characters alone, we had 10,000 lines of dialogue in an indie game, right? And I'm like, man, if you wanted to do that at a big scale... Uh, that's going to be hundreds and hundreds of thousands of lines of dialogue, maybe millions. And uh, so it's a really hard problem to solve. Um, you know, and that's like assuming you have like, you could do it with like archetypes, like eight voices, nine voices, whatever, but um, it's still a lot. You know, it's hard to make it not feel procedural. Mm-hmm. I think uh, really like, you know, I think like a film like Quentin Tarantino's Reservoir Dogs um, was a great uh, way to take. A film and make it really um, affordable, and that like the whole movie happens one scene with just a few characters. And I think uh, I think where games are going to have to go if they want to, you know, really uh, explore this nemesis system is sort of try to really scale everything back and uh, try to figure out a way to, you know, not make it so epic to start with until we at least figure it out, and then I think we could do more more simulations and more um, experimentation there. Sure. Absolutely. Is there is there any Nemesis system stuff in uh, in Dread Machine? No, Dread Machine it doesn't have that. That's... Dread Machine's more typical like co op shooter, you know. Yeah, that'd be a, that'd be a weird twist to find out that your co op partner is actually the the person that kidnapped. Little the did you know. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. But uh, okay, so. Um, did did we combine those questions? I'm not sure. Did you answer what uh, like a bad trend that you want to see less of in in games? Um, I could you know I could just I could just go into that a little bit. I sort of did with the, with the monetization right, stuff. Right, right, right. I think the other side of it is just like uh, it's it's good and bad, but um, the inclusion of RPG mechanics in every single kind of game mm. uh, I like like is is somebody that likes to see numbers go up. Um, I don't like it in so in that I don't like to waste people's time without teaching you know i want to teach them something with the game i want them to be growing their mind as they play the game um or in having fun right and the second you know someone's like oh i have to do a daily quest because i need to to grind this thing so i can have fun playing the game that makes me sad so it's not the um i don't think that's what games are about and i get you know, it's really hard to make money in games right now. Um, it's something that I think everyone's struggling with because it's it's the one. If you think about it, like most things go up in price, and if you look at the the relative cost of even a triple A game from now to what it costs in the eighties, it's gone oh. down pretty dramatically. Oh yeah, but the but the value, you know, the the expectations and all that have gone way up. So it's right. it's become really difficult so i think that's the reason you know it's not developers are all sitting there twirling their mustaches trying to get rich <laughs> i think they're just trying to survive right sure. but but uh i think you know we need to find a better way to do that that that, that you know enriches the world mm-hmm. and uh i think that you know we're still all trying to figure that out right yeah I've, I've had that conversation with multiple people um really recently actually i mean like especially with triple a games like uh, you're in a different position when you're making an indie game and you have fewer people that you're paying salaries for and that's, you know, it's so less money is a, a bigger deal for fewer people. But when you're a giant corporation, like when you make a AAA game, like that that doesn't need to be a game somebody plays. They want that to be the game that a lot of people play. And so you have to make 
reasons for people to come back, you know, day after day or week after week or month after month or whatever the case may be. But like you said, when you look at the price of video games, like people are expecting all of this different stuff from from a video game when like in the 80s prices were the wild freaking west like it was nuts um but it, once nintendo kind of came around uh especially in the 90s there became a, a more set in stone kind of like 50 bucks for a game and that's only gone up 10 dollars in the past 30 years which is nuts like if games rose with inflation <laughs> like a 50 dollar game would cost almost 100 dollars now um so the fact that video games have stayed at 60 bucks is totally asinine yeah, it's crazy. Um, but uh, but yeah, and most it's... of the time, and most of the time people are getting them on sale, right? Right. So yeah. Like oh yeah. Twenty, ten, and, and that it's it's funny. It's like if fifty, like you have these projects are like fifty million dollars, oh, right? Yeah. And if you t- to use a quote, my dad used to say, "That's a lot of quarters." That's... <laughs> yes, that is. Or, or or in the case of the dread machine, that's a lot of pennies. That is. Uh... <laughs> yeah. Oh, oh man. man, it's yeah, it's, games are crazy. But uh, okay, so uh, completely different question now, and not related to tropes or trends. But if you could try any other profession in the entire world, uh, and this is not a bad omen that you can't make video games or anything. This is a happy thing. This like oh, yeah. literally do anything in the world. Um, astronauts, w- whatever the case may be, deep sea diver, movie director. What is something that you would like to give a shot? Oh man, I mean it's one of two things. Um, uh, I think that uh, it'd either be like I'd go either go help people get to Mars because I think that'd be really fun, okay. uh, and work at like SpaceX or something. Or um, in another world, I might I might go, hey, let's be a bounty hunter. Uh, okay. I think the reality of that I would not enjoy, but the. the... <laughs> But man, that sounds—it sounds like a fun thing, uh, you know. When it when you're not getting shot at, I don't know. But sure. or maybe when you are getting shot at, it, it all sounds fun. But uh, yeah, maybe one of the two. It's funny. That's actually almost a question I used to give um, as an interview question for designers. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, I'd be like, "Hey, pick a job you can't be that's totally unrelated to games that you would do if you couldn't, you know, be a game designer." Which is sort of a, I guess it's sort of a loaded question in an interview, but it wasn't meant to be malicious. And then they'd pick it, and then they'd go, "Cool, design a game about that. Tell me about it." Ooh, okay. And there was yeah. always you could really see like uh, how someone was thinking about mm-hmm. the whole process by just seeing where their mind went. But uh, yeah, it's funny. Yeah, similar question. Okay, so um, now going deeper into to bounty hunter. If you could be a bounty hunter, would you want to be a modern day bounty hunter? Like a Wild West bounty hunter, a fantasy bounty hunter, or like a sci-fi bounty hunter, like Cowboy Bebop style. Cowboy I think that'd Bebop. Be fun. Okay. Yeah. If you if you're familiar with that that uh, that show, uh, Cowboy Bebop's a, an anime uh, about um, like four four main characters, five, eh, in uh, that go around in a spaceship and collect bounties, and they're always broke. And, uh, you know, I like the investigation side. I think that's really interesting, sort of trying to solve the puzzle, figure out what people are. Um, that shows that one of the interesting notes about that show is um, they lied to their publisher about how many episodes they were going to make. <laughs> so they got enough money to make 40-some, and then they made 20-something. Oh, wow. um, and it's one of the reasons it's the best anime ever – one of the best animes ever made, like – top quality animation is because of uh they had spent double the money they're supposed to per episode which is <laughs> very cool that's that's interesting so you want to be the fifth person of cowboy bebop is what yeah i think that'd be about. fun that'd gotcha. be that'd be a fun excellent yeah uh okay so final question of the end game um you get to meet the cheshire cat you get to ask him one question and he responds what is your question and what is his response oh man how do I get to Wonderland? Okay. And his response is something way too witty for me. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say something to do with the croquet mallet. I think it'd be a, a riddle about some kind of intoxicating substance. And I'm not sure. I mean, we're just going to go with, uh, with that. I'm not sure what that riddle would be. Uh, man, that's tough. Somebody smarter than us can, can come up with it. And, and we'll yeah, but, later on. Yeah. They can post <laughs> this comment in the podcast. Like, this is the riddle that the Cheshire Cat would say. Um, 
Yeah. Fantastic. Well, Matthew, that does it for, for the end game and for the show uh, as well. Thank you so much for sitting down with me and chatting about um, a whole bunch of stuff, including the game that is coming out this summer, Bartlow's Dread Machine. If you could send us out by reminding people when and where uh, they can get their hands on it. Yeah, you can um, you can uh, wishlist it as a coming soon right now on Steam. Uh, it'll be coming out summer 2020 and available on both Steam and uh, Xbox. Fantastic. And where can they go to find out more information about the game as well? Uh, they can go to dreadmachine.com. Fantastic. Well, there will be links for all that kind of stuff in the show notes for this episode, so people can click on that to, to find it. Thank you again for sitting down and chatting with me, and good luck as you guys uh, head to, to GDC pretty soon and uh, you know finish developments on the game, and then hopefully we can chat about whatever you're working on next. Yeah, I'd love to. Thanks so much. 